Welcome to Tool Talk, the weekly podcast for Toolaholics, where all your DIY, home improvement, automotive, and tool-related questions are answered, and your need, physical need to talk tools is completely served. And now, the host of Tool Talk, Chuck Cage and Sean O'Hara from Toolmonger.com, the web's first tool blog. I'm Chuck. I'm Sean. And welcome to Tool Talk, podcast number 61. Today is Monday, July 11th, 2010. If you'd like to give us a call, you can call us at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229, and just follow the prompts there. And you can leave us a message to include in a future podcast. It's been a little while. It has. It has. Uh, you know, well, and it's funny because we just sat around and we were uh, talking tool stuff uh, like we always do, arguing like we always do, and... Uh, <laughs> We thought, you know, this would just be better to record this. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yet you know, another Tool Talk. There have been a couple of things happened since the last Tool Talk. You know, number one, you now have a almost six-month-old daughter. Yeah, I, I procreated. I did. <laughs> it was, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Thus spawned many projects. It's, it's the uh, other reason you're here, right? <laughs> First, of course, is to talk about tools but you know the other reason you're on this earth is you know to procreate that that's right well that's what they tell me anyway uh, so <laughs> i look at it as just a great excuse to make furniture <laughs> you may notice if you're listening that sean sounds a little bit different in this and part of that is because one of the reasons we were unable to do tool talk for so long is that uh, those of you who have children or have brand new ones and uh, and businesses for that matter, matter might know that the two don't always mix prettily in the middle. And uh, and it got a little hard to, to schedule the time. We've uh, we've since set up a rig where we can actually do these remotely. Uh, but, you know, he's going to sound old. You're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm literally phoning it in now. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> You're, yeah, ish. <laughs> ish yeah ish you know technology is a wonderful thing but well, yeah. Uh, yeah you know it's it's been a lot a big change for for us you know and toolmonger uh, in general and stuff but uh what i've noticed is uh man you just you get to a lot make a lot more stuff it's just shifted in you know in the time <laughs> you get to spend on it and the the time of day you're in the shop you know <laughs> None of those afternoon pleasant, you know, times when you're no, no, no. That's done, huh? Yeah. Oh no, it's it's either the butt crack of dawn or you know after dark when <laughs> all decent people should be you know sitting at home and watching TV. <laughs> no, no, I'm out in the shop making stuff because those are the only time you know only times you get. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, what do you say we jump right into the uh, classic top five? Top five. <laughs> Top the, five. the top five. All right. So uh, this week uh, we had uh, on uh, number five. Number five. Is uh, Paladin's Power Play. And I think this one was oh, your. yeah, it was. It yeah. was. I actually saw that when I was going to this. Uh, I went to this little shop. Uh, well, you know, I, I won't name it because it's not like they're advertising with us or anything. But sure. Uh, it's the local <laughs> computer store you know the kind that is very large and there, there's one of these in every town right it's very large and it has like uh, uh it, it's sort of that place where people go to buy cabling and stuff like that 
Yeah, where people in the know go to buy cabling and everything. Not parts because they're they're just they're 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 freaking train robbers on those. But everything else, you know, you can get there inexpensively, and that's what I was there for was to buy some cable. Well, yeah, you were building our new spiffy podcast right? that we're using, as a matter of fact. <laughs> that we're using, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I didn't want to pay out the ass for uh, cabling, so I went there anyway. Uh, they also sell a lot of Cat Five and communication cable of various kinds. And uh, I was in the checkout line, and I saw this Paladin multi tool. Now I know that you uh, are a fan of Paladin when it comes to crimpers, because you you had a crappy set for years, and you bitched about it a lot. I mean, a I lot. did. I and, did. And then finally, at some point, you bought this set of, of Paladins, and uh, and the bitching ceased. It did. It did. The the Paladin crimpers, I, I, and I cannot explain this. If you if you are a tech person or you have run Cat5 before, and I mean, there's a lot of people who do that aren't just tech people, um, you know, builders and, you know, all that kind of electricians and stuff, uh, you will know the difference and feel my pain, you know, <laughs> when when you start doing this stuff. If you find a good pair of crimpers, uh, it, it makes all the difference. You know, it's the difference between cutting the damn plug off and starting again, <laughs> and, you know, and uh, that kind of thing. Because, I mean, it strips clean, it, it crimps clean, and, and you wind up with a good, decent plug, you know. Uh, with Cat Cat 5, it's actually kind of important, you know, and uh, uh, say what you want to. You can do it with a whole bunch of other stuff, but I have never found better crimpers than the Paladins. And I mean, you've used them. They work out pretty good. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just a bum. I borrow yours. <laughs> well, why yeah. wouldn't you? Hell, I don't want to pay 30 bucks again for them bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, so when I saw these, uh, when I saw this multi-tool on the shelf, or actually an ad for it, uh, I thought, you know, maybe there's something to that. And, and it turns out that... Uh, they have a, uh, you know, they have a couple of them, if I remember correctly. Like one is for communications, which, in other words, low volt telephone and data. Right. And then one is for, um, oh gosh, what are they? I can't remember now. <laughs> anyway, they they had a couple of different ones, and the tools were surprisingly similar. Uh, the big difference was that on the on the communication uh, datacom one, you you had a punch down tool, which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, for anybody who's ever worked in an office and worked on that stuff, they know that you got to have one because, you know, all the, all the old POTS lines come in and they have punch down. Yeah, yeah. guess what? <laughs> You're going to need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, uh, they have cabling. They have a, a couple of wire strippers on one. And Now, these look for all the world like a Leatherman. I mean, let's face it. They're in the standard Leatherman format. Right. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, to tell you the truth. Right. I mean, there's they do do a, a good job and it's a comfortable format to hold and all that kind of thing. So really, you're looking at the tools and is it built cheaply or not? <laughs> yeah. You and know? I have not touched one of these things or played with it. I, I have uh, um, I, I just looked at the picture and kind of wrote about it because it was interesting to me that, you know, Paladin has a pretty good reputation for those crimpers. And it occurred to me that this might be in the same zone now. I have to admit, I am not the real authority on multi-tools. I'm, I'm not as big a multi-tool fan as a lot of other people I've met. Right. Uh, so right. I kind of, I, I would really want to hear a recommendation of this from somebody who does this stuff regularly and has one. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just as bad or worse than, than you are with the, the multi-tool thing. Uh, I mean, I, as you know, I don't care. I want to carry a knife, right. but. 
you know, I, I've used several Paladin uh, tools before, uh, especially, uh, you know, tech tools, I guess, is, if that's uh, even sure. a category. Ish. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, if, you, you just know, made it one. Yeah. So, I mean, I've used those kind of things before. They are pricey. I, I'll say that without, you know. I think all multi-tools are pricey, to be honest. Well, they are. Uh, I, I wouldn't specifically say in the multi-tool, but, I mean, Paladin tools, hand tools in general, are not cheap. True. I mean, I they know I, they know the brand is is uh, will pull some bucks, and they're taking right. advantage of that. However, you know, at the same time, you know, if it says Paladin on the side, nine times out of ten, you know exactly what you're getting, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. So when you look at something like this multi tool, and it says Paladin on it. I have a certain set of expectations just because I've used some of their other tools and I hope it can live up to that. You know, sort of like electricians look at Klein and go, okay, I know exactly what that is. Yeah, I know what you're saying. So, Hell yeah. I, you know, it's it's one of those things that it could go really well for them if they did it correctly. Or it could go really bad. Because they-, <laughs> uh, they would not be the first to have turned out a multi-tool that is essentially uh, a cheap-ass stamp steel thing that looks sort of like every other multi-tool and uh, dump it out there and start selling it. Absolutely. And you see it all the time. You do. You see it all the time. So I don't know. I mean, it's too early for me to judge. I, if I had to guess, I would say it's probably going to work out okay. Yeah. You know? But, well, hey. Time will tell. If you're listening and you have one of these things, call. Let us know. 214-296-9229. I can't remember the extension, but I think it's 702. Uh, (laughs) You'll hear it when it comes up. Leave us a message and tell us what you think of this damn thing, and we'll play your call because I would like to know. Hell yeah. Well, moving on, (laughs) uh, number four uh, is actually mine, uh, a post that I wrote, and it was uh, the Project uh, Trash Heap Table Rescue. Oh, yeah. Well, ours, uh, I guess. You wrote the post. I found the table. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Well, as we mentioned before, uh, you know, I have a a youngin now, and uh, she is... uh, in need of a lot of furniture, uh, to be honest. So we've been kind of dressing out her area and her, her little room and stuff. For, I mean, my, my entire house looks like a, a bounce, the inside of a bounce house now. But, <laughs> uh, and she's only five months old, or six months old, I guess. And uh, But what I have been doing is taking every opportunity to make a bunch of furniture. Uh, I'm also completely freaking broke uh, because children are expensive. Yes. And uh, so Chuck, who has uh, has been entirely supportive, uh, you know, started started looking for stuff. And one of his jogs around the neighborhood, he found this beat to crap old table, uh, little kids table, you know, some little chairs and everything like that. It was kind of done in that old country kitchen style, you know, where everything was painted white if it wasn't uh, uh, just, you know, kind of clear stain. But it had this cool butcher block top. Yeah, it's a butcher block oak top, which you don't really find uh anymore it's it's three quarters of an inch butcher block hardwood uh which you know say what you want to that's going to cost you (laughs) if you buy it and uh so there was nothing really wrong with the table uh itself you know the top and and the chairs were were kind of salvageable and uh he was like hey you know sent me a picture of this do you want it and i'm like oh yeah you know so uh, I went and got it, and sure enough, you know, the bottom of the table is crap, and, you know, the chairs need a lot of work, but it's better than spending $200, $250 to go get one of these things. It's uh, It looks like it's going to cost me a grand total of about 
20 bucks, which is some paint nice. and, uh, and a little bit of, uh, uh, natural Danish oil. And this thing's going to be fun, you know, just kind of fixing up with some scrap around the shop and everything. Uh, it's, it's a kind of a cross between a, uh, uh, refurb and <laughs> a rebuild, you know, uh, the, the bottom of the table, I'm just gonna, uh, you know, all of it got stripped, which is, I think, um, you know, stripped off. And I think it's still sitting in Chuck's garage and, uh, the chairs were, you know, if you look at the pictures, they're kind of broken, you know, one didn't have a seat bottom, which is easy to fix. And the other one, uh, the, the top rail was broken and, uh, which means, uh, the, the back was kind of entirely unusable cause it wouldn't, hold and believe it or not out of everything building the bottom of the table you know fixing the other chair building an entire another seat bottom with uh uh you know some joined oak uh to to make a, a bottom the top of the chair rail was actually the hardest thing uh to fix and you know you have two options well three really uh, chuck the chair and uh, just make you know make one good chair out of the two good ones or bad ones. Uh, f- make a new top rail, uh, which would in- uh, entail, uh, you know, curve cutting a uh, tad bit of sanding. You know, you know, well, that and you know, you have to basically uh, cut, you know, glue together and cut a shape that is curved because that's curved back, right? Right. And then uh, once you've done that, you're going to have to take a uh, a drill press or, or some chisels and everything. And again, this is curved. You're cutting on the curved edge and uh, hollow out the uh, the spindle holes for it so that you can put the uh, the back rails in it. And then, you know, in your spare time, you can drill for the pegs that actually hold it on the uh, the uprights. Uh, that seemed like a lot of work. <laughs> that sounds like a pain in the ass. Yeah. So what I wound up doing, and uh, you see a little bit of it in the post, is uh, you know I, I've been into carving here recently, and uh, which we might go into later. But uh, I took a pair of uh, or a set of chisels, uh, badass chisels we got from Stanley recently. By the way, a post is coming out on that next week. Oh, nice. And uh, just kind of made it all, made the the chipped and broken area on the the one I the the back I already had just chipped all that out, went over to the scroll saw, cut a piece out that was relatively the same shape, glued that bastard in there, and... Uh, win! Win! Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that part's going to be painted anyway, so it really doesn't matter that the grain's not going to match. No, hell no. That kind of stuff. So, I'll, you know, you put it on the, the belt sander, which I call the uh, the shaper tool, <laughs> and uh, you're never going to know. Oh, you we're going to get mail about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know, and... It's bad because I come from an artistic background, you know, and uh, a lot of people give me crap. Oh, you can't do that. I'm like, yeah, I own a belt sander. Yeah, he just... wields a belt sander, um, you know, like like a carving tool. Yeah. It's, yeah uh, it's... And that's definitely going to get us email. But, you know, screw it. It works. <laughs> it does. You know, it's it's like the magic fitment tool, you know. <laughs> it's it, it fits everything, you know. There's there's nothing the wrong size when I get done with that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was it, – it's just kind of one of those things where you know some people would prefer to buy stuff, some people would prefer to build it from scratch. But uh, and that there are places for both of those, and I enjoy doing both of those. But um, a couple factors came together with this: one, broke, like I said; two, um, I hate it when people throw out good wood, and and this was good wood. And and Chuck, you recognize this. I mean, you you know, running by, you you recognize this. Well, I, so. I I went up and knocked on the top of it, and the top of it felt solid. And I flipped it over, and it was the same. 
and and yet different across, which meant that it was real. It was real wood, you know. It wasn't veneered, right? Right. And, you uh, can tell by the edges too, you know. Yeah, and at that point, uh, you know, there's some pretty creative veneering I've seen these days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you yeah, remember those the- tables at at uh, Best Buy in the Apple section of Best Buy? Yes. How they actually they actually veneered the corner so that it would look like uh, a solid piece of wood cut and put into the other one. Right. You're like, yes, so you is. never know. I mean, I guess since it's done by machines, it's not that expensive. And, you know, you could. But anyway, it was solid. And I'm like, hell, you know, worst case scenario, you fold up all this other crap and keep the top, you know, throw it in the corner until you think of something to do with it. Right. Exactly. Now, I, I saw a lot of support on your post. I mean, clearly repurposing is uh, is an accepted practice among toolmongers or at least the readership. But. Uh, I did notice one person suggest that you might have some issues restaining after sanding off uh, the previous day, probably because that that uh, uh, whatever the hell they had on it, probably poly would get into the wood deep enough to prevent whatever you were going to stain it with. From How did that turn out? Actually, you know, it's been fine. I've had super good luck with, uh, especially hardwood. Now with veneer, you'd be screwed. Oh yeah, uh, they're they're because Boom. that stuff gets deep enough into to to veneer deeper than the veneer. Just, yeah, it's you're deeper done. than the veneer, so you're just done. Um, even you know a, a heavy coating or a light coating of poly can screw veneer, so you're you'd be done. No, the hardwood, though, and and here's the thing with the you know what I plan to do with that. Um, you know, I, I've already you know kind of tested it and everything like that. But uh, if you were staining dark, I think you know on parts you'd really have to sand pretty hard to make sure. Um, but I found, and this is this is pretty much rare, uh, and this is the only thing that I've ever found that does this. Um, when you look at like the natural Danish oil stains, right? Uh, they penetrate very well, and if you're not changing the color a great deal, even if you you go over something, it's not really going to hurt you, you know. And it blends exceptionally well. So uh, sand it real good, do a test and everything, but. I've never seen it turn out bad, especially with natural Danish oil, where you're not actually trying to change the color of the wood. You're just trying to protect it and, and bring out as much right, grain right. and sheen as you can. Uh, it works out great. I did the uh, the bottom piece already, which was uh, uh, you know stained and, and sealed in the same way. Looked great. So uh, you know I, I don't think I'm going to have any problems with it. You could uh, conceivably have issue, but uh, – and it also really depends on how it was stained in the first place. Uh, what this was, uh, it, I mean, if it was poly that was on top of that, I might worry a little bit. Right. But what it actually was was shellac. Oh, okay, nice. Which, uh, ambered shellac, really, which comes off pretty easily once you start hitting it with uh, 40 grit on a uh, on a belt sander. Uh, again, the, you know, the belt sander fixes everything. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it, it, I mean, it stripped right off. It wasn't nice. a problem. And, uh, and that's another thing with some of the old shellac and everything, uh, especially when it's, it's seen a lot of wear, it can look horrible. Uh, but it's pretty easy to get off. And, uh, I know a lot of people say that chemical stripping is better. It probably is. Uh, I don't have the patience for that cause I, <laughs> I do it with a sander. I can get it done in five minutes and be ready to restain. Uh, but with chemical stuff, there's a lot of things you got to worry about, and you know you got to dispose of the chemicals and, and that kind of stuff. So I just go with the uh, the old fashioned grip it and rip it method. Well, I think everybody's looking forward to seeing how it turns out. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so uh, moving on. Number uh, three. We have number three. And uh, number three is actually a, a post from Audra, and uh, that's uh, vintage hand-forged wrenches. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm this, so glad this is on the list because I wanted to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have a couple things uh, on Toolmonger, people have, have super interest in it. Uh, one is pickup trucks, as you know. Sure. Pocket knives. Uh, yep, pocket knives is another one, and antique tools uh, seems to just spark a, a whole lot of conversation uh, and opinions, uh, as as you you might have seen. And if you haven't seen this post, you 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 know you can check it out. It's it's got uh, what look like a you know four old pipe wrenches uh, that have been kind of. Uh, I mean, I don't know if all of them were hand forged, but at least the handles were hand forged uh, from looks like, you know, just kind of steel round bar stock that sure. uh, of it has been, uh, you know, the, the threaded and all that kind of thing. And they they look really cool. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I think this this kind of turns me on for a couple of reasons. Number one. I love the idea of modifying your own tools, using your tools to make your, when, when I was a kid, my dad was a machinist and, and working, you know, in the tool shop was it, you know? Oh yeah. Because that's where, you know, you, you, you did the real work. And I just, the idea of making your own tooling to use that, to make your own tools is just this kind of meta badass, you know? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And, and so, uh, this, this is cool from that standpoint. The other one is that, um, I have always been a little fascinated with the concept of, uh, of, of making your own tools and, and using them and modifying your own tools when needed. So everything from like, you know, when you and I pulled that old uh, BMW way back, that motorcycle that sadly uh, never went anywhere the way some Toolmonger projects do, we should probably hide Toolmonger projects and not tell them about it like real, you know, like big magazines until it's all done and everything. Oh, yeah. But that's a bunch of BS. With Toolmonger, we just lay it out there. Okay, guess what? I got news for you. Some projects at Toolmonger, just like some of your projects, go to hell. Oh yeah, you know you yeah, think all oh, this would be great, and it 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 is not. Yeah, it happens fairly regularly. <laughs> We're not afraid to fail in front of you. No, that's that's basically no. it. You know, you're going to find out anyway. <laughs> yeah, know? that's just the way it is, and uh, uh, that was one of them. But but I ever since you know we found that that awesome uh, uh, little little uh, uh, what was it? I say little? It was like a one and a quarter. Huh. Yeah, no, it was which, huge. It was this uh, like thirty four uh, millimeter or something. Yeah, I socket. mean, it, it was this huge modified socket that somebody had, like... Uh, Turned mean, the outside off of yeah. so that it would fit in the holes to pull the fork off. Yeah, and, I mean, it was work of brilliance. You know, or or, uh, or or sticking a wrench in the bandsaw and cutting it short to fit in a, a spot that you need and things like that. I just think that's awesome. So the idea of these iron pipe wrenches, uh, that in and of itself is a little scary because it's going to corrode mm-hmm. a lot. Well, and you can um, see in the picture they've they've kind of seen better days yeah and you know uh blacksmiths i'm not an expert but i have a couple of friends that are and i kind of see what they do sometimes so i have some kind of sideways experience with it i'm but I, I don't claim to know anything about it but i do know that one of the common practices is to just take the iron when you're done and essentially rub hot rub wax on it 
mm-hmm. and uh, the wax burns off and kind of forms this uh, coating on it that protects it a little bit. But uh, I can see that for a lot of things. Uh, I have a set of, uh, if you really want to get into blacksmithing, the first thing you make are your own tongs. You know, you got to have tongs to put things in the fire and take them out and sure. hold them while you beat on them. And uh, they're they're very accurate items, and most people make their own tongs to start with, at least the ones who are getting into it the old-fashioned way. Uh, right. You build up to making more and more complex tools until you make your tongs, which you then use to make other things. Again, the whole cycle of life when it comes to tools. But um, I, have, I have a couple of sets, uh, one of which was made by a friend of a friend. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I keep them. I, I think they're awesome. Uh, even though I'm not a blacksmith, I hang on to them when I when I inherited them from my dad because I just, you know, it's it's part of that process. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and you know, once you start making your own tools and and you know making all the the modifications on them and stuff like that, and, and it doesn't always have to be steel. You know, I mean, you True. can make tools that you need out of almost anything. I mean, I, I can't count how many times I, I've made you know like push sticks or feather boards or, or stuff like yeah. that just because I needed them. You know, and the stuff I could buy wasn't right or didn't give me enough protection or whatever. And it's it's really kind of the mark of you know, are you at least as far as you know, I'm concerned in you know my shop and stuff like that. Are you really trying to do this, or are you <laughs> trying to you know have a tool that looks pretty? Both you know standpoints are fine. You know it doesn't this matter. This does but, separate the two. But it does, it's kind of that, that, you know, demarcation line where you, you look and go, okay, they're in that group, you know? I think it's <laughs> and, awesome that Audra pulled this, though, because I think that it's important that everybody know that you don't have to have, like, a water jet to make your own tools. No, you don't. You don't. And your own tools can be, you know, like this, where it's just, you know, somebody bent some iron or, you know, that, that kind of thing. And that's fine. It's great. You know, it's, it's serviceable. And as long as it doesn't kill the functionality of the tool, and then many times it actually enhances functionality because it's something you didn't have or couldn't get uh, some other way. Uh, it doesn't really matter that you, you know, you didn't spend a lot of money on it or you, you know, it looks kind of different or it looks kind of odd or, you know, it's, it's ugly as sin. You know, it really doesn't matter if it works for what you're using it for. The rules still apply. It still is a tool. It doesn't really matter where it came from. And this kind of stuff I think is, is both unique and uh, visually striking, you know, when you see it. Although the one second from the left still reminds me of a fly swatter. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and all the twists they put in it, that's that's just showing off. That's not making a tool yeah. because you need it to do that. That's just, you know what would be badass on the bottom of this wrench? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, is, which, which is awesome, too. I appreciate that. You know, I mean, put a little artistry in there. You know? there's, <laughs> there's no law against it. New. No. <laughs> So uh, now we're uh, moving through uh, to... Number two. This one's uh, also Audra, I believe, and it's uh, Context Scary Motion-Activated Sprinkler. Oh, yeah. This was so funny. She was, like, (laughs) losing it in the office about this. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was so funny. Uh, So first of all, I I mean, I don't know how many of you uh, listeners listened to, ever listened to, uh, or saw MST3K, right? Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, it looks like Pro, yeah. It does, exactly. It looks like one of the robots from it. Um, 
And then as if that's not enough, I mean, it's kind of a fun idea. Just to recap, this thing is uh, is essentially a sprinkler that sits out in your yard and has a motion sensor in it. And when it detects motion, it, sp- it squirts water at it. Now, I mean, that's pretty cool because it'll work. You know, it's a great way of keeping, say, rabbits. We, we have somebody we know who is always uh, trying to kill rabbits, which kind of pisses me off, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's not like she needs to eat or something. You know, she just does it because she doesn't want them to eat her plants. And you're like, look, you know, well, they, you look at them, they eat. OK, it's what they do. Look, this, if you're a farmer, I completely understand. Whatever. That. Yeah. Good, you know, but it's not. You know, so it's not. Yeah. It pisses me off. I mean, you feel free to disagree if you're listening <laughs> to. I'm fine with that. Okay, but it pisses me off. This is a great answer for it because it just runs them the hell off. You know, right? Which which is a kind of a humane way of dealing with all this. So, but then of course the other thing is is it works great too for uh, you know, you know assholes who come in your yard that you don't want in your yard <laughs> like salespeople, right? And you, if you forget to turn it off. And uh, and then, of course, the best thing is, is like all things sold on Amazon. Um, and full disclosure, we actually do have an Amazon account with Toolmonger. And we're always clear about that. But um, what's whether you buy it or not, okay, what's hilarious is, you know, a lot of times people get a little creative with reviews and with photos on Amazon. <laughs> so, so if you go look at the photos for this thing, uh, it starts off with like this badly photoshopped cat running away from it, right? And then right. it's this badly photoshopped cat and dog running away from it, and then and then it's like it, it's like uh, it's like you know the Pope getting sprayed by it. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and it's just like it becomes one of those Photoshop games with what can you possibly Photoshop into this picture uh, getting sprayed by the by the by the thing, you know, and it's like everything. It's everything you could imagine. It's like, you know, uh, an alien. Deers. Yeah, deers, rabbit, you know, anything it doesn't matter. <laughs> it just keeps know. on. Get- and the farther you go, the funnier it gets in there, the more and more crazy the things <laughs> that they have it like. <laughs> You know the White House getting sprayed by it. It's it's awesome. I mean it's 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 funny as hell. Now the now the serious part here is though that it's actually kind of a cool little product. And like so often with Toolmonger, I mean we posted it because you know we're into juvenile humor, and of course, yeah, it struck us as freaking funny, so we posted it. And and then immediately a bunch of people come back and are like, hey, I got one of these, and it's great. You know, it keeps all the you know jerk salespeople off my thing or you know i had rabbits eating my stuff and they're gone now and i didn't have to hurt them and all this cool stuff a lot of people actually like this product right yeah i mean and it does look like it did work you know bad photoshopping aside it, yeah, it, yeah. it seems like a viable a way to to make this stuff uh work out for you now uh you 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 know, eventually you're going to find the kids who uh, who figure out that this thing is a uh, an automated slip and slide, and you know your water bill is going to go through the roof. But, a little bit, maybe. Uh, you know, hey, it's it's neither here nor there, but it does look kind of cool. I, I I will admit. I can see why it attracted attention. It was funny and it was useful, and that's a win. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> so uh, that brings us. The big number one. Number one. And uh, this one, surprisingly, is uh, a a Shopsmith-themed post. Can't imagine. You know, that's another thing that kind of gets people uh, riled up is is Shopsmith. Now, uh, however you feel about Shopsmith, you know, it's it's still out there. It still does, you know, work, and and there are people who who like it. So – you know, 
wherever you stand, hey, you know, I understand. But um, I guess last year, maybe the year before that, uh, I actually got a hold of my old man's uh, shopsmith because he really wasn't using it. And uh, it, there's a lot with it. I have pretty much every accessory for it. Uh, and it's been I, – I haven't used all all of them yet. Right. You know, I'm, there's, there's no way uh, as far as you know my scheduling and everything. But slowly but surely, I keep bringing pieces of this back from the dead. And that's what the, this post is about. It's uh, Shoutsmith Joiner back from the dead. Um, the joiner on it, which – and you got to understand, my dad doesn't have a lot of – you know he hasn't used this thing in – A long time. Well – since the turn of the last century, how's that? <laughs> and uh, it's been sitting out in the shop and, you know, gathering dirt, dust, cobwebs, rust, you know, everything. And, uh, you know, blades rust and belts crack and everything like that. Well, the joiner had suffered kind of that same thing. And uh, I guess a couple weeks ago, in fact, it, the uh, the reason I brought it back up is uh, uh, just to do the little kid's chair for <laughs> – uh, the little table thing, and uh, I think we have some wood that we're going to start planing and, and joining and all that kind of thing. So uh, to its credit, uh, I spent a little time with a little oil and some, you know, some steel wool and, and uh, you know, checking everything. And then, you know, you spend another hour just taking it completely apart, the little drum in it completely apart, having the blade sharpened and everything. Put it all back together, um, recalibrated it, it, stuck it, you know, on the end of the the shopsmith with the the accessory drive uh, hooked up to the headstock, kicked the power on, and the thing cranked like a champ. <laughs> I mean, Rock. It's, it's got just super fine adjustment to it. You know, once you figure out how to use it and what you can actually do, and and the, the here's the cool thing about shopsmith. Well, actually, there's two cool things. One is you know if you have limited space and and everything, it does actually provide for wood. Uh, a great deal of flexibility and a great deal of precision, you know, because you're talking to, in most cases, 132nd to 164th worth of accuracy. I got news for you. If you run 220 over it, uh, you know, 220 sandpaper over it, you're taking off more than a 64th anyway. <laughs> okay, so you're you're doing about as much precision. you're going to get with wood. Yeah, with wood, as you're going to get. You know, wood, first of all, wood moves, it, it expands, it contracts more than a 64th of an inch, you know, uh, depending on the weather and humidity. I got so, news for you, so does metal. Yeah, so you're, you're really getting about as much as there is to have, okay? So, uh, you know, the adjustments were all very, very fine and, and worked just like they said they would. But the, the other cool thing about Shopsmith is – Unlike many tools, Shopsmith is very specific. It has to be, you know, because if you don't set it up right and don't calibrate it right, it's not going to work. Right. You know, it's not just going to work badly. It's just not going to work. So when you look through the instructions, which are incredibly detailed, you you get to learn everything there is to learn about the tool because you have to know everything there is to know about the tool to calibrate it correctly, right? So they you know walk you through okay well what kind of wood are you using how much do you want to take off what kind of cut are you doing you know are you doing a surface cut are you doing a you know an edge cut and you know what are you doing and it will list for you the best way and the best settings for the tool to get whatever it is you want now i mean i know that doesn't sound like a big deal no it sounds like a free tutorial for using right. it 
that's exactly what it is, you know, and it's and sure enough, you set everything to to run like it says it's going to, you know, like it says it's supposed to, you know, and uh, you know, you set that it's got all the settings for the headstock and what the headstock should read out at at the dial, you know, what kind of RPM you're actually pulling, you know, what what way to you know make it roll through the the joiner so that it it cuts cleanly with the least amount of tear out and you know how much to cut per pass if you you know you're doing a lot and uh, sure enough you follow the instructions and it it, it works. works exactly as advertised nice. I was I have never joined a thing in my entire life and uh, you know I I read the instructions I was actually kind of worried about it and uh, read the instructions put everything through. And, uh, man, uh, it just worked. I mean, it was flawed. It was like somebody had bought it from the store and brought it home. To <laughs> nice. It was I was just flabbergasted. I had to call my dad. I'm like, Dad, I cranked the joiner up. It works. It's like, of course it works, you know. But uh, I was just excited, you know. Uh, it was pretty cool. So it was it was a good experience. You can say what you want to about the shopsmith. Uh, but, you know, uh, there are better tools. You know, except for the lathe, they're in the sanding. Um, there are better tools for anything you're ever going to find on that thing. The thing, you know, the magic here is that it all comes in one unit. You can do absolutely anything with it, and it can find space. And uh, if it ever breaks, you can buy absolutely from the smallest screw to the biggest, you know, the biggest motor or the biggest stand or anything like that. You can replace any part on it, which. It's pretty handy. Well, you know, we've always said, and I stand by this firmly, no matter what anyone else's opinion is, that the tool you use is better than the one you don't. Absolutely. And uh, and and for a lot of people, that's what the shopsmith has always meant: is that it gives you, it gives them a way, and you a way to do things that you would otherwise have no access to. You know, right? You could have one machine that would fill that space, and you could only do a very small amount of work with it. So. I'm a right. fan, and uh, yeah. mainly because I, <laughs> I get the benefit of yours, so that's not fair. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's seven tools in a very small area. So, uh, you know, and some of them, uh, you know, I have the scroll saw with it. I don't use the scroll saw much, you know. So it sits in the corner. I have another scroll saw uh, that I use. You know, I, I don't really use it for the, you know, the mitering capability. I have a miter saw. You know, I, I use that, but there there are things that it does that are just not doable in my shop without it. So I I'm a fan. Win. Uh, yeah, totally. It's actually tool company event season. Yes, it is. For the uh, first time. About, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they started yeah, doing... Halfway through. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to write. They started doing these things a few years ago um, regularly, but never all of them in the same kind of period. And this year, it seems like... And I think this is a positive thing because last year, man, there just wasn't much happening. Uh-uh. And then this year everybody's doing them all together this summer. 
Yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, we're we're like, uh, I mean, if you if you look around, there's there's a couple companies that that do this stuff, and and they all popped in. They kind of sort of used to spread out throughout the year. You know, you'd have the people who were excited at the the beginning of the year, and other people around Father's Day, and then other people around Christmas and everything. I think they had like they must have sat down. I, I picture it sort of like. Um, one of those sub Rosa conversations, you know, <laughs> the, like the MI5 and, and the CIA have, you know, it's like, all right, we're going to agree to do this, but we're not going to say anything about it. <laughs> they, they all hit within like two months of each other. I mean, we it's still so got July left, but uh, it's weird. Yeah, so uh, we wanted to talk about some of them, and we're going to start with the DeWalt event. DeWalt had uh, uh, a couple of events recently, back to back, where they released uh, uh, a, a number of new products, but. Uh, most importantly to me, there were there were there were two that I think are are of interest uh, very much. So one is a, a flap disc. Now I know the non metal workers out there are saying, "What the hell is a flap disc?" Well, uh, anybody who's ever messed with an angle grinder knows that you really have kind of three things that you do with an angle grinder pretty commonly, right? I mean, there's more than that, but the most common are uh, you either have a grinding wheel in it and you grind on things. You have a flap disc on it, which allows you to finish pretty well. If you can imagine, it looks like a bunch of like, I'll say sandpaper. It's not sandpaper, but it's it's abrasive glued to a backing, you know? Yeah, grit. Uh, uh, yeah, grit glued to paper backing. And then there's a bunch of them overlaid into a wheel so that, you know, flap disc get it. And and you can then use that like a grinding wheel, except you can also kind of take off very little with it and kind of finish like almost like a sander for uh you know for metal, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've used these things at my place a lot. Oh yeah. And then uh, uh, and then the other one is a cut, cutting wheel, right? Well, they they came out with a number of products at this event that they released, all uh, in the abrasive line, all designed for longevity. The concept being that. You know, people who use these things use tend to use a lot of them. You know, you don't really use a couple. You use, like, none or a ton, you know? Yeah. And uh, and therefore, if a particular disc lasts a little bit longer, it actually translates to a pretty significant savings when it comes to, you know, fabrication shops and the people uh, that are actually buying these things in bulk. I would imagine so. I mean, uh, and to a casual user... It would, you know, significantly lengthen the time between, you know, buying another one or not, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and when it comes down to it, most people will choose a grinding wheel over a flap disc, even though they can do the same thing. And the flap disc can actually do more. It can do everything a grinding wheel can do, but it can do more. Uh, there are two reasons that they pass on them. One is that uh, the grinding wheel will remove material faster in general. And two is that the uh, the grinding wheel will last significantly longer. So you're you're paying a lot to use that flap disc, you know. Right. So, so the general kind of consensus among everybody I've met is that you you use the the grinding wheel whenever possible and the flap disc when you need it. Now they want to kind of change that a little bit, and there are two things that they've done. One is that they made it really thick, and they played with some of the grit and the other stuff to make it last longer anyway. And they claim that it does last a, a pretty good bit longer. We're talking, you know, a noticeable amount longer than a, uh, a standard flap disc. And then uh, they also messed around with how it cuts to the point where it does indeed cut and move. And when I say cut, I mean remove material, uh, actually in the same kind of range as a. Uh, as a standard grinding wheel. 
And I saw it do it, and it does indeed do that. So the really cool part, though, is the part that works for me, because even though I don't buy a million of them, this pisses me off. It's the fact that the backing on a flap disc stays the same size, but you wear the wheel. So it starts out kind of square on the end, right? Right. But as you use it, it it rounds off to the point where you can't really do anything with any part but the middle. <laughs> so what happens is with, with at least half of the grit still on the damn thing, you pull it off, throw it away, and put another one on it. Well, what they did is designed a backing which uh, wears down at the same point. Now, I understand some other companies have done something similar by accident. With You can actually wear the backing down on them uh, <laughs> and make it work a little more. And I've seen people do this by just jamming it into the end of a piece of metal that you don't care about to, to wear the backing down. But it smokes and it makes a mess and it really sucks, right? And sure. the wheel splits every now and then, which is a problem. Uh, they do turn it over 10,000 RPM. So when they come apart, well, you know, if you're a jackass and remove the guard, which let's face it, nobody does, right? Uh Uh-huh. You may have a problem, (laughs) you know, depending on which way it happened to fly. It may get exciting. (laughs) Yeah. For you or your heirs, you know, depending on how how it works. Uh Uh-huh. But, uh, this one is designed to work that way. It actually wears down as you go. So you end up with, when it wears down a bunch, you have an itty bitty little wheel, uh, but it's still square, which means that you can still use it. And yeah, it sounds like it'd be helpful. It is. It's a cool idea. When you consider that the price of these particular wheels is not out of line with what you pay for the wheels anyway, then this is almost entirely benefit in your pocket. So if if their claims are even halfway realistic on these, and I suspect that they are because, I mean, they did do some actual demos in front of us where they removed material, and we got to play with them, and we duplicated some of those, you know, and and it seemed pretty reasonable what they were claiming, and if it does, then uh, as a home user, this is going to just make you not have to go and buy as often, and as a professional user, this actually adds up to some real money. They did uh, some math on a big, you know, a big uh, LCD screen they had set up where you could do these tests and then plug the numbers in and it would actually calculate pretty in a pretty straightforward fashion. Like, you know, if, if the wheel uh, removes this much and this much time, then how much is that versus a normal wheel and then the cost and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I mean, in a production environment, this could actually add up to like, you know, six-figure numbers, like real savings. And wow. Yeah, and in the home, it's just freaking cool because you don't have to change the wheel and throw it away and be pissed off about throwing away half the wheel you paid for. So <laughs> I like it. I think it was really cool. I know that you probably won't see it on the cover of magazines because magazines, uh, for whatever reason, don't like things like this. They want things that have a different kind of you know fancy to them. Well, they they want something with a little more sex appeal, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's accessories are are kind of a tough at the bottom. Sell. They're yeah. just at the bottom of the list, you know. Yeah, I mean, sometimes when they're just a really mind blowing accessory, sure, but a lot of times the the accessories kind of get the shaft, so to speak. Literally, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Some of the other uh, cool things we saw were. Uh, a number of tools designed to keep you from changing tools a lot. And and uh, you'll see all the details of this on Toolmonger. But that was the one that really stood out for me in the abrasives. 
And they had a grinding wheel that lasts longer. They had a cutting wheel that lasts longer. Uh, the cutting wheel especially lasted a lot longer. Like, you didn't have to do a bunch of math to figure it out. I mean, you could play with the damn thing. And you, Sean, have used cutting wheels. And you know how oh, yeah. they disappear. I mean, they just like, oh, gone. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Almost consistently. Yeah. yeah. You remember the first time we used one and I got out like six of them and you're like, what are all yeah. those for? I'm like, <laughs> we're going to use them all to cut this one piece. Yeah. We, I mean, it was ridiculous. We had to cut like a foot and a half, you know, <laughs> and yeah, it cost us like four and a half cutting wheels. I'm like, holy crap, there's got to be a better way to do this. You know? Yeah, there is. And, and it's even worse when you put it on an abrasive saw. Yeah. You know, because a cut off abrasive saw, because man, those things, I mean, that's expensive. And uh, with the big wheel, it was literally, I mean, you could just hold them up next to each other and see the difference when you made the cuts. It was like a lot different. So good stuff. Um, the second day of the event, they covered uh, their new 12 volt line. And I, I, I think this is a really big deal. If for no other reason than, and when I say 12 volt, I mean 12 volt compact. We're talking about that category that Bosch started with the PS20. Yeah, this is lithium ion. Yeah. Subcompact 12 volt. Right. Meaning the small stuff. And and you remember when it first came out, you can remember uh, Bosch was scared to death. Everybody would think it was for women and, yeah. uh, and, and, and avoid it. Not that they have any problem with tools, you know, women using tools more that they were afraid that macho guys wouldn't use it, you know? And, uh, Eventually, there was a lot of that, and eventually everybody sort of came around when they realized that, holy crap, I don't need to carry all this garbage around if I don't need it, you know? And yeah. uh, now that that's been sold, that, that, that whole concept has, has been sold, I think, pretty effectively, um, we see, we've seen competitors. You know, Milwaukee came out with uh, a, a very strong PS20 competitor a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, the, uh, the M12 line. Yep. And yeah. uh, then proceeded sure. to uh, go the Ryobi route and sell everything under the sun in the battery, you know, configuration. Which is a smart move. I mean, uh, you could probably gonna... get an electric toothbrush. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> Milwaukee electric toothbrush with this. Anyway. To be fair, they have one of the best light shop lights around. I agree. In I agree. that particular thing. So, I mean, it's there are some good things. And and. Honestly, the if you look at, at the different lines from the different manufacturers, you get a different take on what's appropriate for a 12-volt tool also. Right. I mean, uh, the Bosch stuff is, is headed more towards construction and, and uh, you know, heavy-duty use there. And the Milwaukee tools are largely plumbers and electricians. Plumbers and electricians. So there is kind of a, a different vibe you get from each of the different lines. Well, the the vibe from DeWalt slime, which has been what like four years in coming, you know. Uh, oh yeah, I mean it's it was three four years ago when the the PS twenty came out. So I mean they're they're on their second or third generation now. Yes, yes. I mean the PS twenty one is out now. Yeah, um, which which is a pretty serious upgrade. Bottom line is that uh, DeWalt, after all these years, for whatever reason, has decided to join the twelve volt subcompact lithium ion subcompact, you know, party. And mm -hmm. and they put together their first line, and obviously a lot of us were pretty excited to see it because, let's face it, DeWalt, whether you love them or hate them or anything in between, uh, they have a huge market share, and and there are a hell of a lot of DeWalt tools floating around, and yeah. uh, it was it, it, I'm a firm believer in competition. I you know I don't care who came out with it first. I do care, but when it comes to buying, I mean I'm a total whore. I'm going to buy what works now, and I can get my hands on you know. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's nice to see another competitor because I don't think there can ever be enough competition in that particular uh, area. Now, they, they chose some, they made some interesting choices. Um, one of the things they identified as a big deal with users, and I guess time will tell whether this is true or not, is that uh, they feel that it's pretty important that, uh, that the tools stand up on its own. You know, and we're talking about the, the drill driver here, right? Stand up as in like you put it on a table and it will stand on its on its on its battery on its battery like or ones. wow you know like the big tool you 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 sit it on the battery and it'll stand on the battery so of all the things they picked no, to no. Uh, focus on that's that was well, their big... there are others I mean there are others but I think it's important to note that because you know it it kind of has a pretty big effect on the whole system because that's going to affect battery design which the battery's in everything you know. Right, and you know it'll affect the uh, the form factor a great deal with right. everything as well. I mean, so it's not going to look like all the other you know twelve volt lithium ion stuff running around. And it doesn't. Um, every almost everyone else uses a. In fact, everyone else uses a small round battery that fits inside the end. Right, magazine style. Exactly, just uh, like a gun. And yeah, and uh, they went really what I like to call the little big driver route. It has mm-hmm. a square battery that slides on the bottom, on a shoe on the bottom, much like the bigger drills. Now, it's small, and, and, and these drills really are, this, these aren't any, they aren't significantly larger than the other ones that you see. Uh, and, and it does stand on its end comfortably, which is kind of neat in a way. Um, I'm not sure how important it is to me. Now, their market research says that it's pretty damn important. Um, they seem to believe from what I could tell that a lot of finishing guys use these, that a lot of installers use these. And, uh, they had one there actually to talk to us who was part of their focus groups that did all of it. And he kept telling us that he felt like it was significant that, uh, if you knock the thing over or you, you laid it on the cabinet that, uh, you know, on a, on a countertop or something that the, uh, that the rich people whose house you're installing it in would get pissed off about it. Now I could see that. <laughs> I think, I think that in reality, that probably does occur. You know, if they only knew that the people who built their house took dumps in the bathtubs, they'd probably take a dump themselves right then and there in their pants. Uh, yeah. And if they yeah. knew how much like bimbo and, and uh, you know, wrappers and, and Gatorade bottles are in their walls, they'd probably cry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, out of sight, out of mind, don't care, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm I'm aware that it exists. I just don't want to see it. Yeah, know? if I don't see it, I'm fine. It's not going to hurt me, you know? Yeah, but rest assured, if your house it is happened. built in the last 30 years, it happened. Somebody, one of the workers took a dump in your bathtub, okay? It, it happened. Yeah. I guarantee it. Um, but anyway, these, uh, uh, you know, so one of the things they did with this besides standing up is that also it's, and this is true of many of them actually, the sides have bumpers on it. So if you drop it on its side or you knock it over... It, uh, you know, it's, it's going to land on the bumpers instead of, uh, on the hard plastic on the, you know, granite countertop that can't possibly be damaged by it. Yeah. I was going to say, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> <laughs> listen to some rich person bitch, which I think is a fine reason for having bumpers on the side of it. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, that could be a problem I and mean, I could see where, where they would want to avoid that. However, you know, you could get, you know, a tool belt or a tool holster, for you know the gun as well and just not have to put it down ever maybe maybe um i have to admit i I, i'm not again i'm not sure how important it is to me 
but it does look like a miniature version of a big drill. Mm-hmm. And and that might actually appeal to some people, I think. And and I'm I'm not against it, actually. I mean, it, it's not something that turns me off. I just, I'm not sure how much, you know, if it's, if it's turns me on a lot either. It just kind of, you know. It is. Yeah. And, and it's a, I'll say this, having played with it, it is comfortable to hold. Um, it, it's not, it's not a poor design, you know, it's, it's comfortable and it's well balanced and, uh, you know, I can't really complain. Well, the other thing I think they might be, uh, banking on a little bit and, and I don't know, I wasn't there is, is people who are reasonably, uh, I'm not going to say uneducated, but just, uh, Perhaps as uninformed is is a better thing on, you know, if they're staring at a Bosch or Milwaukee or or anything else like that, and then they look at the the Dewalt. Uh, the Dewalt will look like what they expect a drill to That's look true. like. That's true. That is very and, true. And you know, they may look at the others, and the others may be. I mean, I mean, they may or may not be, but they may be the best drills in the world. But they look different than they're used to seeing. So if they're used to seeing something with a big foot on the bottom of it, and this has a big foot on the bottom of it, uh, that will immediately translate to them as, okay, this is a real drill, and I don't know exactly what those are. And I'm I'm guessing that's probably going to happen more than once. Now, people who are educated in it and, and been using this stuff for a while now will know that it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's in the same category. These are roughly – but if you didn't do any of your homework and you just caught it cold, uh, these would look like a, a a real drill, quote unquote, or something that you used to see in. And one of the other ones that looks like uh, a Glock or you know a, a handgun may or may not. Yeah, and uh, I think that this battery decision really kind of comes into play in the flashlight. Now, I know everybody right now is like, I want to hear about the uh, impact driver and I want to hear about the uh, uh, inspection camera and all that cool flashy stuff. And I guess got news for you, I'm going to jump right to the flashlight because. I personally think, and and you know, disagree if you like. I, I would respect that, but I believe that the two most common tools you're going to use out of this thing uh, is a drill slash driver, either the drill driver or an impact driver, depending on what kind of business you're in, and the flashlight, because these these lithium ion small compact flashlights are awesome. You know, it's a great form factor for a flashlight. So. You're going to buy one of these or get one of these with your set, and you're going to damn well use it, you know, because you got the batteries and you got to keep them charged anyway. Yeah, and, and it's run, right there. And they'll run yeah. freaking forever off one. So, uh, you know, it, you're going to use it. And and they went a really, really – they took a big departure from others in terms of the flashlight. And when yeah. I first saw it, I thought I was going to hate it. But I, as I played with it at the event, I have to admit, it's kind of cool. Now, as far as – you know, I got to admit, I still like the Milwaukee flashlight better, but that's because I'm very old fashioned in terms of general use. And I, I want a flashlight that has a big, you know, wide, I want essentially the equivalent of my old flashlight, my old round barrel, you know, simple flashlight, except I want it to be three times as bright, run forever. And, and, uh, you know, and be modern. Yeah, it used it used to be a a really unreasonable list that they actually got around to making now. You know, I mean, I want it to run forever, and I want it to be the same size, and I want it to be bigger, and I want it to be brighter, and I want it to be you know. Yeah, and it does, and it, and it just does all that now. Now they went they went a different route. They have this square battery, which means it isn't going to be a standard barrel grip kind of thing. 
because right. you're not going to just slap around battery in the end of it and call it good. Uh, so they, they came up with this square looking thing that on the table looks horrible. I mean, when you just look at it, you think, how the hell would you hold that, you know? And, and what what the hell, you know? And and then when you pick it up, though, and play with it, I got to tell you, that is not the case. Now, love it or hate it, uh, it, it, it works fine. It's comfortable to hold in your hand. It has a little kickstand and stuff on it that you can stand it up with. Uh, it has a magnet, which I kid you not, will actually hold it. That right there is pretty interesting, I think. Well, it, it very well could be, you know, with the because uh, i mean whatever you want to say about it it's it's black and yellow you know it's got the big d on it uh, it is going to get attention you know good or bad uh, people are going to be looking at these well so, you know the one thing i can bitch about the milwaukee is that the magnet on it sucks they should just yeah. get rid of the magnet on it i mean there's it can't hold itself with the magnet so all it can do is demagnetize is magnetize things around it so just get rid of it, you know? I would be fine with that. This one, you can take this thing and slap it on something. It will freaking stay there. I know that magnet's pretty harsh. It'll, it'll, it'll stay. You won't get your finger in it. It's that kind of magnet. You know what I mean? Don't use it around your computer. That's right. Yeah. Do not bring it in the room. Um, the other thing is it has a fully rotating head, meaning that it, it both pivots and rotates. So you can point it. You can sit that thing down in its kickstand and point the light anywhere, which is kind of neat actually and uh now and and then the last thing is that they uh did not go through all the effort that milwaukee did to try to get rid of the dead spot in the middle or the the uh the the bright spot or dead spot in the middle of the uh of the beam from the reflector and Mm -hmm. they went with a bright spot and they uh they for what it's worth claimed that that was more important to people because they want to be able to point at things with it now, I don't know, I, I personally don't care about that, but uh, their market research says it's valuable, and uh, and it does do that. Now, also on the hmm. positive side, and I know I'm going on a lot about the flashlight, but I like flashlights, so too bad. <laughs> um, you can point this thing at the wall, and I mean like way the hell on the other, I don't know, a couple hundred feet, 100 feet, right? And it'll make a spot on it. I mean, this thing will throw farther than the Milwaukee. Um, And it still spreads almost as much as the Milwaukee and is similarly bright toward the edge. So it's kind of like you still get plenty of coverage, but you get a bright spot in the middle, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like it's brighter in the middle and dimmer at the edge. It's about the same on the outside. And the other thing is, is that they played with their LED selection. Now, you remember Milwaukee, when they came out with their flashlight, showed us how they picked from all these different flashlights, and they decided that people would like a kind of bluish light. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Milwaukee decided you want a yellowish light, and they do have an interesting point. When you look at blue and brown wires, they do tend to look more different with a uh, with a uh, yellowish light. Well, and traditionally, bulbs, if you're looking at incandescent bulbs, have kind of a yellowish tint to them. So, you, you know, if you've been doing this a while, you're used to looking at a yellow light. Well, they had built a little uh, a box with some wires in it, and you could stick your head in there and try to identify them with it. And I'll be damned if it wasn't a little easier with theirs. Well, 
and that would make a difference if that's what you were doing. You know, <laughs> if you were, you know, uh, identifying wires and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, if you're lighting the interior of an engine bay, it's not really not going to matter, you know, uh, you know, blue, yellow, whatever. You just want a lot, you know. Yeah. Well, but, but it depends on the application, I guess. Yeah. For what it's worth, I can tell you right now that uh, you have you seen a picture of it? Uh, no. Yeah, we all have to fix that. But if if uh, when you look at it, you're going to think, what the hell? <laughs> you are, because it looks funky. And I can tell you that it's not nearly as funky as it looks. I, I would like to have one. Um, I would, if you made me trade my Milwaukee for it, I would not do it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I would like to have one and, and I'm hoping we'll get one into test along with the rest of the 12 volt gear, which was interesting. They do have a, uh, uh, they do have a, another kind of neat item and I know I'm going on a little long about this, but Hey, it's our first one back. So it can be long, right? <laughs> um, we, they, they have an inspection camera and the big, big feature on the inspection camera is that it has a wireless screen. So you can actually pull the screen off it and, and hold the screen up to, I can't remember four five, six feet away from it. Uh, while it's operating and it's kind of a neat idea because if you think about it like you know say you're going to fish it down on a wall you fish it down on the wall and now the damn top of it is up above your head you know right and in, in normally you'd have to figure out how to get a look at that screen whereas you know you can just pull it off on this one and look at it and fish it around however is convenient you know it's kind of cool um now of course they do tend to go dead and and that was kind of funny. And the the first one they pulled was dead. Yeah, they're like, well, you're like, how long does that last? Oh, about that long. <laughs> well, and it it actually runs quite some time, and it charges from the battery whenever you leave it on it. So if you left it on it all the time and pulled it off every now and then, it would work fine, which is what you're going to do with it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but if you leave it off, it will go dead, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um. But anyway, lots of neat stuff. I mean, there's way more, and you'll see it all on Toolmonger in the next few weeks. It's going to take a while to unload it all because we're not going to give you like 27 DeWalt items in one day. But uh, lots of new stuff, and more importantly, lots of new stuff from all the manufacturers. And uh, hopefully we'll take some time in the next few podcasts to go over some of these other events that we've seen so far. Yeah, it'll be it, there's, some, there's a lot of good stuff, so it'll be good to get it out. I understand that you have been doing some carving. I have. I have. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of funny. It started, uh, I guess, when uh, the the offspring was very young. I, I had uh, to sit with her in the afternoons and everything. So I would find stuff to watch while I was feeding her or whatever. And one of the things that I ran across was a show called Wood Sculpting. And it was on uh, DIY networks, and uh, early in the morning the TiVo caught it, and I'd watch it in the afternoon. And it was one of those things. It's not like the the newer type of of show where, uh, you know, they'd have the the big loud hosts and they'd do crazy things and all <laughs> that. Uh, these were all done a couple years ago, and they it's like the Bob Ross of carving. You know, it, it was a lot like that, except they had a different one each week. Oh, uh, they would go and talk to a guy who was a chainsaw carver, and then they'd go and talk to a guy who was a whittler, and and uh, or whittler as, as a, <laughs> you know, depending on what you know region in the United States you're in. Uh, but they would they would go and talk to different types of carving uh, artists each time, and kind of check out their techniques and what they were doing and everything. And and surprisingly enough, uh, there are tons of methods out there. And uh, the, you know, the, the basic tack of the show was 
you know, you know, anytime you're taking some raw wood and making something out of it, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. You're carving. Huh. Uh, so, you know, you could be using, uh, you know, high-speed rotary tools. Uh, you could be using a pocket knife. Uh, one guy used utility knives. That's all he, you know. That's wow. What he, you know. Uh, there was chisels, uh, you know, gouges. I mean, it didn't really matter what you're, you know, any combination in there. Uh, didn't really matter what you were doing, but they would show these different types of carvings. Uh, chainsaws, like I said, uh, which I have a whole spiel on, you know, the, you know, like lumberjack, uh, you know, chainsaws versus these carving chainsaws. There is a, it's like, you know, the difference between a Model T and an F1 car, you know, <laughs> it's way different, you know, as you could use for two completely different purposes. <laughs> but uh, there are a number of ways to do it. So I kind of got interested in it. Uh, I'm glad I caught it because uh, DIY doesn't even put the damn show on anymore. It's oh. really pissing me off. But anyway, um, what it did spark was, you know, you watch these shows and you're like, well, crap, man. You know, I always thought carving was like one of those things you had to do with chisels and a very special knife. And, you know, it took forever and everything wound up looking like something you might find at a craft fair. You know? <laughs> yeah, that uh, would be most people's experience, Sean. Right. You know, and I'm like, well, that's BS. I don't want to do any of that. And it's not the case. Uh it, it was kind of interesting. Uh, there are a number of woods that that people carve with. Uh, anything from from hardwoods to uh, you know stuff like boxwood or, or balsa or any of that stuff. And uh, the implements are are widely varied. Basically, if you're if you ever want to get into wood carving, uh, the best advice I can ever give you is don't pay attention to what everybody tells you you need to have. Just go get a piece of wood. And start working it however the hell you feel comfortable working it. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, people will tell you left, right, and backwards. And these, these experts on the show uh, are these, these master carvers. Uh, they, the first words out of their mouth is always, anyone can carve this stuff. Just go get something you want to do and start you know, chipping away at it. It's really not a big deal. Whatever you feel comfortable with, use that. And uh, so I went out and uh, to my what I did, what I always do, which is go out to my dad's place and, you know, start stealing wood. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I found some diamond willow and uh, went home with uh, with his utility knife. Actually, uh, uh, my dad uh, sharpens and kind of shapes some knives uh, a lot of times. And so uh, I stole one of his kind of broad blade uh, uh, hard steel carving or uh, uh, utility knives and. Uh, and when I say utility knife, not like the razor knife, but right. like a, like a shop knife. And uh, went home, sat on the stool, and started you know debarking and carving on it. And you know I got so far, and then went, well, man, I really need to take more material than this off. So I grabbed a Dremel. You know, go figure, me grabbing a Dremel. But uh, <laughs> what are the chances? Yeah, what are the odds? You know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'll go get this. You know, and it's funny because you. You know, I, I put the. Uh, I think I even wrote a post about it about the uh, the snake stick uh, that I did. That was uh, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's really weird. Uh, carving doesn't actually conform to many rules. Uh, I think the only really rules that that you need to look out for are uh, one, remain you know whole and intact. Don't don't lose a digit. <laughs> uh, two. Good advice. Yeah. Two, 
it doesn't have to take years. You know, if you want to carve something small or something simple or, you know, anything like that, go ahead and do that. There's no there's no set rule with uh, how much you have to take off or what kind of cuts you have to do or anything like that. The, you know, the wood's going to tell you what's possible and what's not by your outcome. Um, another mistake that people make is uh, wood selection. When uh, when you first start carving wood, a lot of people will go look at a master carver's work that is walnut or chestnut or uh, you're talking you know, very hard woods very hard you know mahogany okay don't start with that stuff i mean unless you like pain and misery you know uh, <laughs> don't don't start with that stuff it's it's very difficult to work uh, your tools have to be very sharp you really have to know how the wood is going to work before you start one of those projects and it's it takes it also will extend all your time because, you know, let's say you have a chisel uh, cut or, or a scrape or something like that that would have been a quarter inch or a half inch in regular wood. It'll be an eighth to a sixteenth and something like that. So soft wood is your friend. Uh, the, the I cannot stress that enough. It will go much faster. You will be able to get what's in your head uh, out, you know, where people can see it a lot faster with softer wood. Um, the other thing is don't spend a lot of cash on this, uh, until you're really sure what you're trying to do. Uh, you may think that you're going to become the world's best chainsaw carver. Uh, <laughs> I say that, that may- because it's a damn difficult thing to learn. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's very possible that you might, however, you might want to borrow somebody's chainsaw uh, or, you know, so, or go to some, one of these carving events and kind of work with somebody, you know, with a, with a dime tip, uh, you know, bar before you go and spend, you know, anywhere from 150 to $500 on a carving chainsaw. Right. Uh, you might want to do that. If, you know, you're looking at carving, go get a knife. And, you know, a basic, you know, even just a woodworking chisel set, you know. Right. Uh, and try and work wood a little bit before you go in and say, all right, I'm going to drop 800 bucks on, you know, a whole full set of gouges and palm chisels and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, a $50 uh, polyurethane wrap mallet and all that kind of stuff. Just work some wood before you do that. That's good advice uh, with anything. Like yeah, I mean, you might find that your style is very different than you thought it was. I know it, it was that way for me. Um, I uh, I was just sure I was going to be, uh, uh, you know, into this hardwood. Because I, I build all the furniture and all the stuff I have out of hardwood. I know how oak and mahogany and all those kind of th- woods work uh, with power tools. Uh, when you're trying to carve something intricate and small out of mahogany, it is an exercise in frustration for me. So um, it's it's something you need to look out for. However, the best part about carving, and uh, I actually caught this from the show, is uh, and somebody said this, and I can't remember who it was, but uh, they were absolutely correct. Uh, if you're sitting out and you're stressed, and and you know stuff is just you know, piling up on you and all that kind of thing. You cannot hold a a frustrated or pissed off mentality while you're doing carving. It's just not <laughs> even possible. Uh, you can start out that way, but after about 20, 30 minutes, you just calm down and, and you forget all that stuff. So it's super good for like stress and everything like that. It, it works out really nice. It's It's been a, an excellent distraction and uh, I would highly recommend it to anybody who's, who's into it. Uh, 
I am not going to insult, you know, uh, actual carvers by calling myself a wood carver, but I do, uh, I do chip away at some stuff every once in a while and make something that actually, uh, you know, non short bus riding people would, would, uh, would see, you know, I mean, it doesn't take, uh, a Picasso to, to look at this and, and understand what it's, but it's a snake, you know, <laughs> I, can, I can get that far and, and it's actually pretty cool. So it's, it's pretty easy to learn. Uh, it's uh, challenging if you want to get further in it, but uh, good stuff. I, I've been thoroughly impressed with the stuff you can do. That's a pretty high recommendation. Yeah, it's it's one of the cheapest hobbies I think you'll ever pick up <laughs> if you do it right. <laughs> the only people who get, uh, and, and as musicians, we always called it gas, gear acquisition syndrome. Yeah. Uh, tool, tool people, though, they get it. I mean, they get gas too. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, and it's real easy to do. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I found myself, you know, the the first time I, I actually made a carving that was that looked like something. You know, I'm <laughs> like, holy crap! You know, and before I knew it, I had you know, just this list of of stuff. You know, this like six hundred bucks worth of stuff that I wanted to get, and I'm like, you know, I don't really need any of that. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, there are a couple of tools I think I'm going to need, but all of those, you know, fine tools that I think I can need to, to vastly expand my, my capability, I'm going to still spend less than a hundred bucks, you know? Uh, so it's, it's very easy, especially with woodworking to, to go and just, uh, start buying the farm, but, uh, not entirely necessary. Well, we are running along. We should probably wrap up. Anything you want to add at the end here? <laughs> well, we've, we've probably gapped on enough. But uh, if uh, if I had a recommendation to make uh, uh, here lately, you've seen a bunch of uh, new tools and new uh, all kinds of stuff come in. And, and one of the biggest questions I've had over the last couple of weeks is stuff that uh, – you know, what's the best tool? And I know you hear this a lot. The best tool, quite frankly and easily put, is the best tool for you. Not necessarily the most expensive one, you know, not necessarily the one with the most power or something like that. Figure out what you're going to do with it and what your budget is. And then what tool you might want to buy that fits into all those things, that's the best tool for you. Uh, What's the best tool is often a very subjective argument depending on oh, application yeah. and budget. So uh, I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten over the last couple of weeks asking me which, you know, what's the best drill or what's the best this or that, that kind of thing. And that's, you know, oftentimes an unanswerable question for a perfect stranger who doesn't know anything about your application or your budget to answer. So keep that in mind uh, next time you think. No kidding. Good advice. Good advice. I guess I'd, in wrapping up, I'd like to just say that uh, I'm glad we're doing these because there's so much to talk about. And I miss sharing all of our, some of our little conversations anyway from the office, you know? <laughs> of which some are uh, completely jackass and some are uh, completely cool, so. Well, that's what uh, the stop button's for, okay? I mean, if, right. if they don't want to hear it, they don't have to. <laughs> this is entirely optional, not mandatory. So... All right. Well, uh, we will see you when we see you.